In the last episode, we heard the story of Kyle, who was shot in the back of the head and miraculously walked out of the hospital. It was a story of his natural body being broken and God bringing healing. If you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to go back and listen because it makes this episode all the more special because as Kyle's natural body was dying, John shares the story of how his spiritual body was dying and God brought healing to that at the same time. Y'all, it is a powerful story, but what I want you to catch here is that because of where John was, he was unaware of his role in a powerful story that God was doing for Kyle. He was unaware of how God was using him in Kyle's life, but he was also unaware of the story that was unfolding within his own soul. Sometimes we feel like God isn't at work. Sometimes we can't see the miracles around us, but that doesn't mean that God isn't at work. It doesn't mean that the miracles aren't happening. In fact, sometimes God is orchestrating a story that is so amazing that when we finally catch it and we look back, we are surprised that we missed it in the first place. This is the story of how God loved John so much that he pursued him, that he loved John so much that he spoke, that he worked, that he moved, that he acted when John needed it most. This is episode 19 of the Where Did You See God podcast. So this young man comes in the hospital, shot in the back of the head. Things are not looking good. He's probably not going to survive. Okay, he survived while he's in a coma. He's probably not going to come out of the coma. All right, he comes out. He's probably not going to be able to walk or speak. But then the day arrives where Kyle's able to leave the hospital and go home. And somebody could listen to this story and feel like it's a great miracle story, which, which it is. But this is only part of the story. Yeah. Right. And so... I know for you, John, you mentioned um, at the beginning that you had a number of influences in your life, uh, and part of those influences were more agnostic or atheistic and uh, more, more science-based, and you're having these interactions with this young man and this young woman, Gigi, who, like, at all points, there's scripture playing and there's, you know, prayers being said, and so... Tell me a little bit about that part of the journey for you. Like, where where were you? What was, where were you spiritually, and what was happening in this time? And after he left, so Paul, you just went right, right to the jugular, right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I would have to say, for the the after the following the death of my grandfather and what had happened to my grandmother, and. Uh, uh, as well as what happened to my father, uh, and then the series of events just sort of, I was uh, initially very angry towards God. Because um, at the time I was like, how can this happen to our family? Like, th- these are very loving individuals. I wanted so badly to spend time with them. Uh, we were very much shaped by um, what happens to us in childhood, and. Uh, I was greatly shaped by their love, and then that love was taken away from me. And so there was this, uh, there was this vacuum, um, and I just felt like I had to take up the torch, pick up the torch, and just fight uh, whatever these affliction, these mental, uh, these um, medical, you know, issues were. 
you know, at the time, I wanted to just carry my torch and just take a stab, you know, at the wound, at, at this unknown disease and just find a better treatment for some of these things. And so that was ultimately my, uh, the, the explanation as to why I wanted to uh, be a physician scientist. Uh, and so a lot of people think I'm nuts for doing a dual MD-PhD degree, especially uh, when I wasn't like straight out of college as well. But I think uh, I'm fairly certain that what has happened to me, the helplessness that I felt along the way is a strong motivator uh, to get me uh, through this stage in life. Uh, however, this program was not easy for me, Paul. It was not easy for me, especially because uh, second year in medical school, uh, my father um, one day sent me an email. Uh, he was estranged uh, at this point, divorced uh, from from my mother, which was a tra which was extremely traumatic to, to my mother because she's Christian and. There's a lot of segments in the Bible that are not um, permissive of divorce for many different reasons, and uh, also her Korean, the Korean culture sort of uh, ostracizes uh, uh, women that have been divorced as well as widows. It's just sort of that the nature of that society, um, and so there's a lot of that going on, and uh, I felt like personally at the time divorce was justified because. There was a lot of things going on at, at my household that led to medical issues for my mother as he was she was trying to cope with his mental you know outlashings and just outright uh, financial irresponsibilities as well as just his aggressive nature uh, a lot of things combined as well as the mental illness uh, just made things uh, unmanageable and this was all while I was in the first two years of medical school. And uh, when I went in to take this cardiovascular exam that uh, we need to pass, in medical school, if you fail one exam, that gives, them, gives the school the right to kick you out. Uh, the school is sort of uh, within the program. It's like it's, it's because uh, physicians are held to higher standards, you know, and justifiably so when they're dealing with patients. So there's no, they don't give you a lot of wiggle room unless you have, you know, uh, just reasons to to delay the exam and and this was definitely a just reason uh, but I just um, was very stubborn and that just reason was uh, I received an email that uh, detailed my uh, my father who was living in Korea alone at the time and he just laid out the uh, the way he was gonna uh, kill himself he's gonna take a certain amount of insulin and um, He's going to leave this amount of money to my younger brother who needs it more than I do and just close that as a goodbye. And uh, I received this email and uh, uh, I went into the exam. I did everything that I possibly could uh, to take the exam and whatever knowledge I had wasn't enough to get me through that exam at the time. And so I, I failed that exam. You know, And so that was the beginning of uh, a turnaround in my medical career, uh, I was arguably in the, uh, and this is important in medical school because the where you rank in the class and all that kind of stuff plays into where you end up in residency and, and beyond. And I went from being one of the top students to one of the worst students. And that this was a turning point. 
in which I kind of lost motivation. Uh, in the intervening years, I picked up the motivation uh, to continue, and uh, um, I managed to, you know, kind of crawl and just get through um, what was happening. It turned out my father had failed to uh, uh, to carry out that suicide. He wrote an email three days later telling me that his landlord found him unconscious and took him to the hospital and they uh, set everything straight. And so uh, when that email was sent, I had a discussion with my family and I sort of had to pick this difficult path of do I continue down like my career path or do I just depart from it to take care of my father? Because I knew that deep down in my heart that I could not deal with both. Like I could not take care of this man uh, while I'm in this demanding program that requires everything from me. Uh, when I say everything, uh, dual degree requires everything. Yeah. So um, I made the decision that I will go and take care of him after I graduate from medical school. Uh, and when I become a resident, I'll have a certain amount of uh, flexibility with finances. And I know he'll be a financial black hole, but I'm going to do my best to take care of him. But I will have to cut him out of my life until that point. No matter what happens, no matter what email happens. And uh, that's when I sort of uh, turned my life around. I became healthier. Um, I uh, went through the PhD program, which was also uh, tribulation on its own. Um, and then, uh, then got into my, got back into the medical phase and, uh, and I was actually in my third year, uh, the December before, uh, I met Kyle and that year, um, I got a phone call from a nurse telling me, Hey, this is serious. And this was from Korea. Your father's in the hospital. He has pneumonia. He might die. You should come and see him. And at this time, I was treating a patient that had pneumonia at the same neuroscience ICU unit um, that Kyle ended up in. And uh, I called them back and I explained the situation. I was getting everything ready to go uh, and see my father for the last time. And uh, I got another call from my family and friend, uh, friends who were in Korea who went to see him, as well as the nurse, and they told me, actually, it's okay, he's stabilized. So finish out your neurology rotation, which I was in at the time. And then come and, you know, see your father. Uh, then I received a call from my younger brother uh, two days later telling me that he had died mm. in the hospital. And uh, it was devastating. Um, I, was, uh, I was in despair, you know, when that happened uh, because I made that decision. And I knew this was the cost, but I was also unable to take care of my grandmother before she passed away two years prior uh, and uh, I just felt like what am I doing like I'm lashing out at these diseases and one by one my the people that are important to me are kind of getting rubbed out of my life and so I think at this time in my life uh, uh, what kept me going was you know what I'm gonna finish out this M3 year and then I'm gonna go and visit and make and just I'll tie up the loose ends later. I need to press through right now because I have a publication that I need to complete, or I might be at risk of being kicked out of the program. 
if I do not get through all of the exams that, you know, in the next five or six months or so without passing, I'm at risk for getting kicked out of the program. Uh, then I have the interviews, and so, all, uh, and which is like a session in which you kind of apply to medical uh, residencies. And so I knew this was going to happen, so I said, at some point, I'm just going to suppress this, and uh, I will get through it, and I will visit it. And uh, so all this time I did go to church. Um, the reason why I went to church was sort of to try to establish a relationship with God. Um, and I don't know exactly why I did it other than the fact that I knew my father is an atheist and I didn't like his outlook on other people uh, compared to my mother who isn't, who's a Methodist. And I liked her philosophies of, you know, don't worry, don't judge other people. That's up to God. Just worry about yourself. You know, those sort of broad strokes that my mother and my father had shown me. Also, I was I was always drawn to like a lot of Christian themes, uh, such as in Les Miserables. I, I I just felt like there were moments in that book where the bishop, uh, for example, in the beginning of Les Miserables, tells John John Valjean like I have I have now bought your you know soul uh, and silver for God. And at the end of the book, John Valjean just ends up sacrificing himself um, for the, uh, out of love. And there's a lot of these ideals that just clutched at my heart and moved me like nothing else. And they were all a lot of a lot of these were Christian themes, but I was sort of um, unwilling to love God at this time. I was unwilling to think that He has He's a He's an active participant in this world. I kind of felt like He created the world. And he's just kind of watching us from a distance and letting the letting the laws of the universe like do its thing, like the expansion of the universe, the uh, the way the chemicals are reacting, and the and the the microcosm of things. And so, um, so what happened was, uh, let's rewind to after I took care of Kyle. And it was just I had this indelible memory of Kyle, but at that time we had to move to different rotations. And so I was tasked, I went to a hospital in Northern Virginia for a while, for about a month. Then I went back to Virginia Commonwealth University, went to a different rotation for a month. And then now I was back at the Neuroscience IC unit, and then I had a what they call an active internship where they basically treat you as a doctor. And so that's sort of your first, like, tryout as, as like a doctor in this critical care unit. And I took care of a couple of patients. Everything was going really well. Um, then I looked at my patient list and uh, the patient that I had taken care of when my father had died was on that list. And I was stunned and I was angry. And I said, I just said, I just cried out, what in the is the chance that this man would come back um, to me nine months later when I haven't resolved and I haven't gone to, to Korea to visit my father's graveyard, when I haven't made these amends, when I was just pushing it to decide, what, what is the chance of this happening to me? Um, but the team leader looked at the... <laughs> The records for this patient, we have uh, electronic medical records, and notice that the last note was my note. I was the last note that, uh, I was the last person to, 
help take care of this patient. And so he, he asked me, do you want to take care of this patient? Uh, there was a part of me that said no. <laughs> But I knew that, that that would be the wrong thing for me to do because I know so much about this patient. I know about all the complications that happened his last day. So I said, yes, I'm going to take care of this patient. Um, I'm aware that he went through kidney problems. He went through this blood sugar issues. He went through um, lung issues. Why don't we get these experts on board, even though his blood sugar looks okay? Last time it shot through the roof overnight. Lo and behold, it did all those things that I predicted. Um, sometimes patients sort of come in and they do the same thing, and his hospital course was shorter. You know. And Paul, I think at this point, uh, after he was taken care of, uh, after I went home, I just wasn't so much despair. Uh, I felt like um, I had also. Uh, sent out like 41 applications and uh, I was getting only one interview at the time to VCU and uh, I just felt like no matter how hard I tried um, something bad was going to happen around the corner and uh, I just did not want to move on with my life at that time uh, I was, I, I, it's safe to say that at that point um, a lot of changes needed to happen, but at the same time, people around me could not see past the pain that I was enduring. The only thing they saw was how I was operating within the um, hospital setting, which was amazing in their eyes. Um, but uh, when it when I when when it was me at the end of the day, uh, I just didn't I just didn't feel like there was meaning to life. And at some point, uh, I'm going to fast forward to a significant moment in which uh, I called up my mother and I, I was in tears at this point. There was uh, some decisions that I had to make at this point. And uh, I told her that, does God exist? I asked her, does God exist? Um, because if he exists, this is the moment that I need him. Because I have never been in a moment like this. Uh, in my life and uh, I don't believe in miracles mom I really don't um, I think there's an explanation for all of these things and she told me uh, she reprimanded me she said there is God I know that you're really suffering right now but all the things that you've done have you know it's even if you don't believe in God it was God out there helping you and he's been guarding you he's been shielding you uh, do not lose faith in him. And I got off that phone, and uh, I still was not, and I was still not believing in God. I prayed. Um, the setting is uh, is another story in itself. Like when when I prayed, I was in a a setting that is a story in itself. But I prayed to God, and I prayed for Him to take away the pain. I said I was in so much pain for the past. 15 to 20 years of my life, I said, please take away this pain. And uh, I opened my eyes and uh, I felt this calmness just flow over me. And uh, I felt this sense of peace. And uh, I uh, 
didn't know what that was at the time. I was uh, shocked and my first immediate fear was, uh, you know, manic depression, which my father had is hereditary, <laughs> unfortunately. So may I started to assess myself for, you know, many, maybe bipolar depression, you know, given the stresses and everything. I'm like going through the list. Do I have pressured speech? No. Do I have a lot of thoughts going through my head? No. Do I like stay up at night? No. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? Like I am at peace. And I, I told myself, well, I'm going to sleep and this is going to go away. The guilt's going to come back. The guilt over not being able to take care of my father. The guilt of not seeing my grandmother and not going there and taking care of her. The guilt of like a lot of these things falling apart. The guilt of not being as good of a researcher in my PhD years. The guilt of being not being as good of a medical student uh, and just being ashamed of that, uh, not being able to, you know, be at my capacity. Uh, a lot of these things were crushing things that I was dealing with within that 15, 20, 15, 20 years of my life, Paul. And it was gone. I could no longer feel guilty for what happened with my father. And I just could not believe it. I could not care less if I matched into residency. I said, that's fine. I'm going to find a way to live. If, I, if, if, if I'm not going to be a doctor, that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. Um, and it was an amazing transformation. Uh, and uh, the icing on the cake was I went back to the neuroscience ICU unit. And uh, my colleagues told me that they never seen a student like me. And that I was at resident level. Uh, and that, that they all thought I was going to go into like an Ivy League residency program, a top-notch residency program. It was funny because I knew that's not going to happen. <laughs> Um, but I found this peace, Paul, and I felt the way I did when I was probably like seven or nine. I hadn't, I'd never felt that way about myself since then as, uh, my family had crumbled. Yeah. And so, um, but before this prayer, um, I'm going to rewind back a little bit before I made this prayer and before, uh, before God healed me, I'm, I can say this in retrospect, like, as soon as that happened, like, I could not, I, I said to myself, this is a miracle. I did not take any drugs. <laughs> I was suffering for 20 years. And uh, I wasn't having manic depression episode. Like, this can't be defined by psychological reasoning. This can't be defined by some, like, meditation exercises. It was just one shot prayer in which I truly, honestly cried out to God to take away the pain. And that was the one moment in which I believe in God as someone who will directly uh, have an influence on my life. Because I did not have that faith in any of my other prayers and never did and refused to do so uh, before that. And so before I made this prayer, before everything was crumbling, um, I went to my previous church's uh, men's Bible study and I wanted to tell the pastor, like, I'm in trouble. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in deep crap. And throughout this entire meeting, all that the members could glean from me is that I'm mourning my father's death, but I'm this really successful physician scientist. And uh, the pastor told me that uh, if I ever need to talk to him, I should go talk to him. I was like, well... <laughs> I, I just can't believe you can't recognize it's now 
it's like I, I'm screwing because like this is like a pattern like breaking thing I don't I don't come up to him I don't go to men's Bible study in this particular church setting so um, I just felt like that was in retrospect God's way of saying maybe I want you to go somewhere else and so I left that Bible study and uh, I was in despair and I got this text message from a very uh, close friend of mine and uh, his name is Lucas France uh, he's currently in Washington DC but he was a member of this church he always talked about this church we were both trying to convert each other to come to each other's churches at the time I was explaining to him we were doing this we were learning about this and he was like well you know this is I, I'm you know that's interesting I'll go check it out but you know so he just sort of uh, didn't didn't uh, buckle it sort of sort of my advances to sort of bring him to my church at the time and he and then I asked and then I called him up and I was like why are you texting me right now are you coming to Richmond and Lucas was like no I was like where are you he's like I'm on a train and I'm I'm actually like on route to like somewhere northeast and I was like why did you text me then he's like I don't know <laughs> he's, he told me like something like in him felt like there was something not right about me and he had to reach out and I said Lucas like I'm not good right now I'm not good at all and you haven't we haven't kept in touch in the past seven months and this is a very very critical moment in my life in which I'm basically feeling like I'm, I don't know what my life means anymore and uh, I said to him he's like wow well I, I will you do want me to come over and I was like well even if you come over right now I'm gonna have to wake up at four in the morning the next day and I have to do my uh, role in the neuroscience IC unit so and then I have to repeat this so even if you come over I can't really do anything even for the next like two weeks of that rotation he said fine 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 I was and then I had the the inspiration to ask him well Lucas can you tell me about the church that you went to because uh, I was so desperate to uh, do something else and and it was kind of a crazy moment because I've actually checked out like 20 20 churches before I ended up going to the church that I went to I was very picky and I, I just felt like this was home for me at the time and for the series of events to unfold the way they did and uh, I wanted to try something different you know at this point and Lucas was like you know what you should check out Eastern End Fellowship and uh I really just there's something in me that tells me like and he's like God is telling me this and he wants me to tell you to go there and I said you know I will check it out I will check it out and then so after that prayer uh, in which I was just transformed uh, and I think transform is an understatement mm -hmm. I went back to work with so much peace I didn't even have issues about like there's a lot of insecurities that we all have as clinicians when we're in training a lot of them just left me and, and they were replaced by what needs to be done for this patient what does my team need to know and what can I do <laughs> to connect those dots and it was unbelievable yeah in terms of what that did and so then um, that brought me over to uh, Eastern End Fellowship later on and uh, I happened to come on a day uh, when it was during Halloween and so there was a multiple like music going on there's a lot of liveliness and uh, it was in a area of Churchill that I was not very comfortable with either 
And, uh, it was like a big block party yeah. that was going on. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. And I lived in Churchill, but not that much north, like maybe not Broad Street Churchill area, so not never three or four or five blocks above that north. And uh, I was a bit uncomfortable, but I was like, well, I need to come here. I need to check it out. So the, the sentiment that I felt was nice. It was great, but it wasn't church service. So I was very disappointed. I'm like, why isn't there church service going on on a, on a Sunday? <laughs> so I walked out of there and uh, I see this uh, small desk and it says Eastern End Fellowship on it, or it said EEF to be exact. And uh, uh, standing next to it was this, um, this lady, silver hair, uh, turned out to be Leslie Moore. Uh, I approached her and uh, she looked at me straight in the eye and uh, she's got those sparkling eyes and especially after that uh after the the cataract surgery as well as the the surgeries done on her eyes like it sparkled even more as i approached her and uh she looked into my eyes and she said and 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 her friendly voice she asked me hi like i'm leslie you know what brings you over to eastern end fellowship and uh as i shared in the testimony instead of telling her like Oh, my friend Lucas sent me here. Instead of telling her, I'm checking out a new church, that, that would be my default answer. I told her that God sent me there. And I was, when I said that, I was like surprised <laughs> at what I had said, even. And uh, Leslie was not taken aback at all. She just looked at me. She said, Yes, he did. Yes, he did send you here. And I'm like, where am I? <laughs> Who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> what what became of this John that I knew maybe you know three or four months from then? And um, at that point, Leslie explained to me that this wasn't service. <laughs> that uh, there actually um, sometimes Eastern End Fellowship uh, does not occur. There's, they take recesses, and she said, why don't you come back a couple of weeks later? I said, sure. She gave me her contact information, and then I, I made up my mind to come back you know, at that point. And so, um, fast forward those two weeks later, uh, I came back to Eastern End Fellowship, and uh, actually, it was uh, there was some there was still some doubt as to like whether I will like this church or not when I was going there. Um, that might have been the enemy, basically. That actually was probably the enemy getting in the way. And I got there. Um, I had also experienced several things before I got there. Another set of eye-opening moments that that I don't want to talk about in this particular conversation, but I'll definitely consider revealing to the world yeah. someday. And I got there to the church, and uh, there is Leslie right there, just greeting me and telling me hi. And at that point, she told me about house church, and I was like, "What is house church?" Like. What does that mean? Like, and then like my mind kind of raced towards like the early Christians, uh, or even uh, even the Jews in their old days with the tabernacle or something prior. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool, but but I'm in a church right now. So what what is house church? And so she explained, oh no no no, it's like a separate church that we have after service and or before service. It depends on we have many house churches here. I would like for you to check out Chris Lee's you know house church. And I said. Okay, I'll consider it, you know, and I'll put my name down. I was just moved by God's Spirit to kind of open my mind up. Um, 
the church I'd been to prior was a Presbyterian church. So uh, they sing this beautiful classical hymns, like they're very well trained uh, choir, just totally different in, in the sense. I mean, it's moving, uh, but it's a different kind of music, different kind of vibe. And uh, I walked into Eastern End Fellowship and um, basically there was nobody on their cell phones. <laughs> there was like uh, people that were moving and there was like a worship team, uh, Aaron, youth pastor uh the worship pastor was on stage and they uh made the decision to sing reckless love and uh when that was being sang i just had tears streaming down my eyes i just could not stop like sobbing and uh and if i remember correctly they even said that sunday she was like i have intentionally not done this song yes for, yes. But we felt like we needed to do yes. it today. Yes, yeah. I remember that exact comment as well. Like, and, and even with that warning, I was just, I was shaken. Uh, I have been to different churches that have the modernized sort of uh, approach, this modern songs. Never been a fan because of my upbringing as a Christian, which has been in the Methodist environments and then later on i kind of looked at episcopalian churches as well as presbyterian this was totally different and i wasn't receptive at the time but now i was uh it just something tore at my heart and uh, i felt love and i always tell people i don't like the word love because it, it's such a word that's misunderstood between two individuals one person can say the word love, the other person can think of love, love between a child and a mother, love between brothers, love between two lovers. It's so ambiguous. So I just, I even did not enjoy using the word love, but I felt love. I don't know how else to describe that. And that love was powerful. It was moving. It, it basically grabbed whatever purpose that I had in life and just just kind of grabbed at it and pulled. And that's the best way I can kind of describe that sentiment. And at the time, uh, I also ran into uh, Wendell, who's also a churchgoer at the time. He was in his wheelchair and he saw me sobbing and uh, he just laid his hand on me and just introduced himself. And I remember feeling like, you're like a complete stranger. Why are you reaching out to me? And just embracing me like this, and uh, it was just an amazing feeling to be in that setting. I, I ran into Chris Lee afterwards, and uh, at that point I decided I'm going to go. I mean, two hours of church is very long. I'm used to one hour, <laughs> one hour, you know, periods. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go to this no matter what. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the John was going up that elevator to meet Kyle for the first time. He was a man whose mind could only think of the loss that he had experienced, who could only think of the loss that he had seen so many times with gunshot wounds. He was a man whose spirit was broken. His heart ached for the loss of family. His mind questioned the reality of God, and he felt alone. 
He felt alone, and, and even when he reached out to others, he felt like he couldn't be seen and he couldn't be heard. But God. <laughs> this is the story of a God who loved John so much that he pursued him even when John didn't realize he was being pursued. And I wanted to read the lyrics, um, some of the lyrics to Reckless Love. It says, When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. And oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. And I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And this is the story that God gave John. That when he felt lost, when he felt like there was no hope, when he felt no worth, God saw him. God pursued him. God chased him down. God spoke to him. And here's the amazing thing about God. This isn't even the end of the story. Because God did something amazing after raising up the broken natural body of Kyle, after raising up the broken spiritual body of John, God said, I hope you're still sitting down because I have one more thing that I want to show you. In the next episode, we'll see that God doesn't only want to heal us physically and spiritually, but he wants to make us whole. And I want to encourage you as you go throughout your day, if you're feeling like John did, you're feeling alone, if you're feeling lost, if you're questioning God, if you're questioning if miracles even exist, I want you to know that whether you feel it or not, whether you see it or not, whether you understand it or not, there is a powerful loving God who is chasing you down, who will not be barred from pursuing you. And all he wants you to do is just to receive that, just as John did when he prayed. And this is the promise that God kept to John, which he will also keep to you in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. No matter what you're going through today, there is a peace that God wants to give you that makes no sense, that you couldn't have planned or expected or even know how it could exist, and yet he has it for you. So seek God today because he's seeking you. And as you go forward, ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>